Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. Go, Vigil. <laughs> I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. Wow. So much stuff to look at today. I feel like we actually need Lewis from the Ant-Man movies to do a recap on it all. <laughs> I know. We've got a bit to whip through. Mm. But instead of that, I've just had a coffee, so that'll do. <laughs> Oh, gosh, you'll be taking off yourself. Um, so should we start up, uh, give a little bit of an Emmys wrap-up? So, of course, the Emmys did uh, hand out those golden statues very recently. So, sadly, most of the uh, nominations that we had zero GIs on did not end up taking home that many statuettes. Uh, one notable category, the Outstanding Drama Series, that was taken home by the historical drama The Crown on Netflix, which has done very well in years past. And it is a very solid show, of course. It is. No disrespect. Um, and uh, But that was where a lot of the zero-G interest shows were nommed for that one. So that includes shows like Lovecraft Country, The Boys, The Handmaid's Tale, and The Mandalorian. Similarly, plenty of the actors from The Crown. So they're a well-decorated crew now. So a lot of those actors ended up taking home the acting nods for those acting categories too, as well as some handy writing and directing awards. So The Crown did very well out of this year's Emmys. Uh, WandaVision, a show that we enjoyed immensely here on Zero, Zero G. Sadly, Wanda did miss out on a lot of the categories she was nommed for, but the show did take home some statues. Oh. So it received some awards in production design for a narrative program for outstanding fantasy and sci-fi costumes for the episode filmed in front of a live TV audience and also original music and lyrics for the Agatha All Along song. So I thought that was a pretty nice tidy one to pick up because we did love that reveal and the very catchy tune that came with it. Uh, Manda, another show that we've loved a lot on Zero G. So The Mandalorian took home a f- quite a few production awards. Sadly, none of the bigger categ- bigger quote unquote categories, but um, the many people who work behind the scenes and in the production categories well deserve these awards also. Uh, Manda received some nods for cinematography for a single camera series series. That was for the episode, The Believer. Also awards in special visual effects, prosthetic makeup, and a couple of stunt coordination and performance awards, which I think is amazing because stunts are a core part of a lot of the shows that we love here on Zero G, very important skill and really can lift up a show as well. So one of the ones notably was for music composition for a series. So the score for The Mandalorian composed by Ludwig Göransson. Uh, so his piece that was in the episode, The Rescue, ended up taking away that award. So we'll have a little ode to that in a moment. But uh, other awards to note, Star Trek Discovery did win for Outstanding Special Visual Effects for one of their single episodes, and Lovecraft Country and Love, Death and Robots both took home some sound editing awards as well. So some decent showing in some of the more production side awards, which isn't unusual because a lot of the shows we like have a decent amount of stunts, visual effects and prosthetics and so on involved. A bit sad we didn't get any of the big uh, gongs, yeah. but 
once again, um, pretty nice. I was looking through the winners and there's well-deserved winners in multiple categories there. A lot of shows that I've loved and have noted down on my to-watch list. So it's worth checking out some of the nominated and awarded shows because I always think it's a nice way to see, oh, I haven't seen that yet. Maybe add that higher up on the to-watch list. So that's Emmy's 2021 brief wrap up for us on zero g not as not as glittering and golden as we have in years past but um still glad that some of the the um people involved in some of our faves were given given the respect and nod they deserved yeah yeah it would have been nice if um michael k williams would have got a gong for lovecraft country sadly no longer with us yeah Mm. a great talent Mm. um yeah, very sad too. So, yeah, I think that's the thing as well. It's always nice to um, take a minute to think about as well that things pass very quickly and some of these people aren't with us anymore. Mm, the ephemeral nature of the entertainment industry. Now that I've lowered the mood there, we'll play <laughs> The Mandalorian's main title theme from Chapter 1. And, of course, this is Ludwig Goranson. Triple R. Hi, this is Fraser Hines doing my terrible Australian accent. Welcome aboard the Starship Zero G. Yeah, the Mandalorian main title theme mm. by Mr. Goranson. Ludwig is his first name. <laughs> One of the top scores, I think, of uh, the last couple of years for me. I think it's really up there, really mm. evokes the mood, a core part of the vibe of that show. Mm. All right, so moving along to some other genre news. Well, there is going to be a Roald Dahl streamomatic universe. <laughs> Big news, yes. Unwrap those candy bars and dig in for the golden ticket. Big friendly giant news, I guess. Netflix has got it and they're going to be producing a whole bunch of new animated shows at least, including the BFG and Matilda and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, amongst others. It's a a strange decision, but it actually kind of makes sense for Netflix because they're trying to get a whole bunch of original content and Mm. IP because they're now in contact with a, a rather a lot of other streaming companies that have access to vast content libraries you know i mean what's what's the latest one paramount yeah yeah yeah. and netflix has always staked itself on its original content and getting things that you can't get on other streamers and seems like it's really leaning into this a lot and willing to throw money i mean netflix is willing to throw money around for sure (laughs) the roll dahl universe i'm not sure if that's going to be as uh bright and shiny as some of the other ones but You know, it should be fun at least. Evil fun, I hope. Yeah, yeah. I will say I think Netflix has had some success in these kinds of areas where it's taken some sort of um, source material and then gone running with it. So let's hope this is another example of it, putting its money where its mouth is and making this a worthwhile universe for us to watch because it's a beloved suite of titles and they are playing in some very nostalgic territory here. Yeah, that, that, that's 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 a double-edged sword, isn't it? You know, I mean, yeah. sometimes you're going to be compared to the old original mm-hmm. movies and, and TV shows and whatnot. Other times you might be able to get out ahead of that. Yes, exactly. Mm. Well, good luck to them there. <laughs> 
All right, now, uh, somebody else who deserves a lot of luck is the beloved William Shatner. Ah. Uh. <laughs> Our old Trekosaurus is <laughs> reportedly going to actually go into space. <laughs> if if anyone can make that happen, my money is on Bill Shatner because <laughs> he's a real original. <laughs> There's only one thing to say, Denny Crane. <laughs> Well, he'll be 90 years old, and that will place him as the, the oldest human being to ever go into space. Uh, he'll be 90? Yeah. When he go. Yeah, um, uh original um, aviator Wally Funk, who was 82. Wow. And so this is going to be part of um, Jeff Bezos's uh, Blue Origin program, so... You know, they've already done that once. And Oh, and by the way, congratulations to the Inspiration4 crew who went up there as com- commercial astronauts recently. I don't think we actually mentioned that on Zero-G. Ah, just so many people in space. There's a lot happening in space right now. <laughs> mm. And so that's going to be so meta. <laughs> that's going kind to of be Yeah. <laughs> of course, there'll be documentaries and a short film and all those sorts of things. So I wonder if this restricts what you can actually do on social media while you're in space. Mm, I don't think you could do much, could you? Yeah, well, I mean, you're trying to save it for the, the after party sort of thing, the after media. Social <laughs> social meteor might work. I'm not quite sure. Anyway, good luck to him. May the wind be at his back. Now, I think we should actually play a track from Mr. Shatner's new album. Oh, gosh, he's a busy bee, isn't he? He's never, never a moment's rest. Yes, Mr. Shatner is the busiest of bees. So Far From The Moon is this track. Uh, William Shatner and Brad Paisley from Shatner's new album, Bill, which is a very, very personal album for him, this one. It's got a lot of really intimate songs that uh, mean a lot to him rather than covers of other people's songs. Anyway, here we go. So Far From The Moon by The Shat. (laughs) Hi, this is Michael Palin, and right now you are lucky enough to be listening to 102.73 Triple R FM. So Far From The Moon, (laughs) William Shatner teaming up with Brad Paisley there from his new album, Bill, which came out on September the 24th. Mm-hmm. And that's from Let's Get It Records slash Republic Records. And, you know, I mean, you got to love the Shatner and those albums that he puts out. Mostly sort of a spoken word kind of thing, which Mm-mm. slides into music, basically. <laughs> but, you know, originally he was um, – slammed for his Transformed Man album back in the day. Uh, but I, f- I feel like he's actually caught up yeah, <laughs> with the 21st century and these things are actually actually work for me. But then they would. All right. And, you know, I hope he does very well in his flight into space. Yes. Okay. Speaking of flights of fancy, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Nine-Nine. Uh, Nine-Nine. <laughs> Season 8. Wow. Which you can catch up with on SBS On Demand. Mm -hmm. And for me, this show has become one of my mainstay sitcoms. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. It's not really a straightforward genre sitcom. No, no. Except in the genre of police procedural. Mm -hmm. 
which it's very self-referential and self-aware of. I think it does a lot with that idea and tries to push certain themes and different issues as part of the, it's the way it's tackling police procedural. I think that's what sets it apart too. And it's just funny. Mm. And it is sadly now drawn to a close. The 99th precinct is not exactly closed for business. It's not like the famous 12th precinct from Barney Miller, which shut at the end of the series. Oh, Oh, we get like a turn off the lights and close the door kind of situation. Well, it is the 99, so it doesn't quite work that way. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, the, the eighth season. Look, it's probably not as innovative as some of the others. Mm-hmm. I have watched all the episodes now. I would say that it's still a strong season because, let's face it, they actually deserve a kind of a victory lap. Yeah. I think it has a lot of heart, that show, and I think that's what really means you connect a lot with it. I think it's up there with some of my favourite sitcoms too. Mm. It's fast. It's witty. It's got dialogue to rewind for great characters. <laughs> wacky <laughs> characterization interactions between them uh, the plots have been bizarre at times it is interestingly enough because you know me i like good procedural it has nothing to do with real police procedural <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah there's a lot that i think they've taken liberties with and for me it is my favorite police sitcom since barney miller so going back away Um, So, yeah, great. We get to see in this eighth season a lot of touching bases and call-outs to previous characters and situations, Mm -hmm. you know. So in these these eight episodes, uh, we really crank up to start with to find out what's been happening with everybody because it's like a, a year after it. So like Rosa Diaz is no longer with the NYPD but still features heavily in their cases as a detective. And, you know, actually at the end of this season, I could really see um, Marvel picking up a new Jessica Jones, Luke Cage series with Terry being Luke Cage and Rosa being Jessica Jones. (laughs) That would be my take on it anyway, because, by God, they're super-powered individuals, those two. So we get to see what's happening in the new thing. They're still trying to uh, resolve... uh, Big, big kerfuffle between Raymond Holt and his partner, Kevin Costner. (laughs) So are they going to break up? If so, who will get custody of Cheddar, the dog? Cheddar, the the greatest MVP character. I actually think that Cheddar would make a great member of the Pet Avengers myself. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> then of course we run into problems with the uh, the union the police union boss O'Sullivan, so that's a, an ongoing theme, and we also have um, Jake and Amy trying to come to terms with being parents, and how that's going to affect their performance mm. as New York's <laughs> finest, whatever the hell they are. How far they've come from season one. Those are some character arcs to really get behind, I think. And some of them are slow burn, but I think it's nice when a show lets you enjoy the payoff as it wraps up. And speaking of payoffs and those who have been paid off, yes, there is an episode where they do one final road trip with Doug Judy, (laughs) the lovable criminal who keeps intersecting with Jake's career. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They also have one last 
movie-fed brush with the FBI. You know how Jake always wants to do Die Hard, or yes, this of case. Course. In this case, it's Speed, the the movie. Ooh, yeah, interested. Yeah, although I am happy to find out, and somewhat flabbergasted in one of their great throwaway lines, that um, Rosa was doing a detective case where she was going to go undercover as a nun. <laughs> A singing nun, so it was the whole Sister Act thing. <laughs> no, what the hell. Now, there's an episode called Game of Boils. Oh, gosh, okay. So we actually go to Charles Boy- Charles's mythical relative's farm. Right, of course, yes. Heard about it in the newsletter. Which is in- as bizarre as you could expect it to possibly be. I wouldn't actually be surprised to find out that Kenneth from 30 Rock is a boil. <laughs> so, all right. So then there is um, uh, an episode where we focus in upon um, Raymond Holt and Kevin Costner's mm-hmm. uh, relationship. And so, mm-hmm. you know, do you think you're, they're going to break up? Is there going to be a happy ending for the whole thing, mm. story? What do they deserve? You know, I wouldn't say that there's any surprises in the emotional story arcs for that. But mm-hmm. do you expect Rosa and her boyfriend to have a, a happy ending in the conventional sense? <laughs> wow. Rosa's not very much about the conventional. <laughs> no, exactly. And then there is a final two two episode special called The Last Day. Aww. So it's uh, two episodes bookended together. And what would you expect that to revolve around, given the history of the eight seasons of the 9-9? Nine nine? Oh, that that turkey thing? No, not the turkey. You know, the find the tiara thing? <laughs> well done. One <laughs> last Halloween heist day. Yes, Halloween heist. I don't know where turkey came from. Yes. Oh, perfect. It is actually. They maintain that one joke idea at breakneck pace throughout that whole episode. And it also functions as a goodbye for yeah. everybody. So that's blended into it. It's like watching a much-loved comic strip in a newspaper wind up. Mm. You become so used to these characters that their own arcs and their own personal tropes have become metaphors in themselves. Mm. You know, mm. so you, you're sort of looking at it and going, oh, yes, that moment. It becomes like a language that you can just yeah. play upon. It, it has its own history and and lore, really, shows like that, like references and in-jokes and it, it's its whole book of of yeah, its own its own like kind of law, I think. And as we were saying before, this show has so much heart. Yeah. And that's what got me about this episode. Like, you know, we've seen so many series finales, you know? Mm. Uh, and some of them we've lost a lot of tears <laughs> over. You know, I mean we'll go back to the way, way back to the final episode of MASH. Oh, which was wow, one of the most yeah. watched finales in history. You know, it was a very big deal. I think we had a videotaped copy of that t- taped off the TV that my parents did. Sorry, wait, what videotape? What's that? Yeah, I know. I had a lot of videotapes of stuff from TV back in the day, including I think the Goodbye Mash episode. Do you know you can't even take uh, commercial videotapes that you bought to 
like op shops now. They just don't like the I, that honestly, Rob, that doesn't surprise me that much. It's like it's like trying to get rid of sets of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah, it's like in the, it's not cool enough to be retro yet. Like VHS is just kind of a bit of a burden. Mm. All right, well, that's Brooklyn Nine-Nine's eighth and final season. We get to see mm. everybody pretty much coming back. Yep. And I mean everybody. So, you know, you know that's going to happen, don't you, that you're going to get all of your old favourites returning in great form in some cases. It is a bizarre season anyway, and that's exactly <laughs> what I wanted. So yeah. farewell to the 9-9. Nine, 9-9! Nine. Nine, nine. Nine, nine. Yeah. All Great right. sitcom. Okay, and we're in. We're shopping for a new one now, a new genre ship sitcom. We are. We've watched a lot of great sitcoms lately and got those nice good vibes, a whole variety of different kinds of bottle mm. shows or office procedurals, and now we're on the hunt for another good vibe show. Avenue 5, Schmigadoon, Brooklyn Nine. Mythic Nine-Nine. Quest. Mythic Quest. Ah, yeah. I feel like I'm suspended now. I need a new genre comedy. It's hard because, I mean, I'm watching another comedy which I'm loving called Ted Lasso, but that's not really genre. Okay. Um, but it's received a bit of buzz and took away quite a few Emmys. But, um, yeah. you know, that's that's one to consider. What about that um, one? We're just like planning our viewing here live on Zero G. What about that one um, that's done by the Mythic Quest makers? The uh... Always Sunny. Yeah. yeah. If I mean, Rob, if you started now, you probably could continuously watch that for several days. I think there's like 18 seasons now. Um, that one's probably I love Always Sunny. It's probably a little bit more on, on the edge of comedy. I think Mythic Quest take its darker parts of Mythic Quest, and Always Sunny is definitely the underbelly, <laughs> the underside, the dirty dark underside. Um, I mean, it's fantastic, but it's it's pushing boundaries. It's trying to be inappropriate. So, well, there is a new season of The Detectorist as well. If oh yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I might take a punt on Future Man, which we can get on SBS on demand and binge. I think. As well, nice. give us a try. Who knows? Yeah. Anyway, now that we've settled our <laughs> now that's sorted <laughs> agenda, uh, let's have a track here from Brooklyn Nine Nine, the mm-hmm. intro theme, and this is by an artist called Social Parallel, and this is from you know this is a cover version, best instrumental TV hits, Volume Four, Triple R on FM, digital, online, and via the app. Yeah, Brooklyn Nine Nine. Now, farewell. Yeah, farewell. Moving along to a quick mention of the Foundation mm, Yes, just dropped, just fresh dropped. off the presses. Yeah. All right, so this is obviously based on the magnificent, and I do mm-hmm. say that because it is like another one of the jewels in the crown of science fiction literature, Isaac Asimov's trilogy of the same name, except there's way more books than a trilogy. Um, Megan and I, we have reviewed several entries in Asimov's robot series of books. Mm -hmm. And later on, once the Foundation Trilogy was put together, uh, much later on, Asimov merged those two cycles. Oh. Robot stories and the Foundation series. Okay, gotcha. There are other writers who've contributed to it. And all mm-hmm. of this sort of stuff has informed this new television series. Oh, so it's really just moving forward with that accepted world mm. and everything within. Interesting. Yeah. Smart. Yeah, which is a good idea, actually. Look, this has long been a project that several people have had a crack at. I bet. Some of the 
great adaptations have actually been like talking book style things or audio mm-hmm. productions, yep. uh, radio yep. shows. I can remember a radio adaptation of the Foundation series back in the 70s or something like that, maybe the 80s, uh, which was really, really quite good because the theatre of your imagination allowed you to watch it all in your head. <laughs> so these, oh gosh, these Foundation books and stories came out in 1942 to 1950, different world back yeah. then, um, and so were published over time and extended and worked on. And then there were new volumes in the 1980s with Foundation's Edge and Foundation and Earth and preludes and this and that and all over the place. And look, if you like Isaac Asimov's, I wouldn't call it Spartan prose. Mm. It's concise and economical and spot on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's concerned with very big ideas. And in this mm. one, it's set in the far future where there's a galactic empire of humans, no aliens. Mm-hmm. Stress mm-hmm. that. It's basically an alien free universe for the most part. <laughs> We're not, I mean, sentient beings, that is to say. Sure. So there's a mathematician called Harry Seldon, or possibly Harry Seldon, as they call him in the series. I don't know. I've never heard it pronounced by Asimov, so I kind of like to think of it as Harry Seldon. But but who knows, you know. And he has developed a theory called psychohistory. So it's basically mathematical sociology. And he Mm -hmm. can use this to forecast what's going to happen on a large scale. And it has Mm -hmm. to be a large scale. It, It pretty much falls apart when you're trying to predict the the actions. I should not use the word predict. I was going to slap myself around the uh, <laughs> the wrist to say don't use predict, but I did anyway. Um, it doesn't really work for individuals. Okay. And that yep. can be a problem. And that's actually the biggest challenge that you get for the Foundation series because you're trying to pull it down to a human scale level. Yeah, Mathematics I don't quite work that way. Uh, I won't go into too much detail. This is just a preliminary notification to let you know that it is now on Apple TV Plus Uh as a new show. Uh Yep. I have watched two episodes. Uh, Just to let you know, yes, if you are expecting them to produce an absolutely ginormous rendering of the full might and gloriosity of the Galactic Empire at its peak, you will not be disappointed. It makes the Dune Imperium look like a sandbox model. Wow. (laughs) It is big. It looks like they just spent their entire budget on special effects. Wow. Which could could be an issue, but we'll go into that later on at a later date when we go back and have a look at this. It's, It's created by David S. Goyer, a name which will be very familiar to you from the Blade Trilogy, the Dark Knight movies, <laughs> Man of Steel, and <laughs> yes, he says, ha, <laughs> and so many other works, including, ooh, Snowpiercer. Oh, well, okay. Because, uh, well, I'm segueing over there to the second creator, Josh Friedman, who worked on um, Snowpiercer. So you know, mm. we'll get into all of that, but it's produced by Skydance Television, who've already given us the worthy Altered Carbon, oh, and yes. the very amusing sitcom Grace and Frankie. Oh, there you go. Which, although it's not genre, I have enjoyed vicariously. <laughs> Look out for Jared Harris playing Harry Seldon, Lee Pace playing the Emperor Cleon the Twelfth, 
uh, and amongst a cast of many others, including Terence Mann. Hmm. But we'll get into that at another later hmm. time. Does it work? Oh, I'm still out on it at the moment. It's a really, really hard ask to make this one work on television. We'll see how well they've done. Okay. Maybe yes, maybe no. That is Foundation, and it's on Apple TV Plus at the moment. But we have something else to talk about. Yes, we are going to head to the Scottish Seas for a bit of political intrigue, Royal Navy espionage, etc., etc. So we've checked out the show Vigil. Now, Vigil is a British police procedural series. It's a six-part miniseries, so it's a contained British style. We've only got a couple of episodes, each about one hour or so long. As I mentioned before, it's set in Scotland and the seas just off Scotland. It was created by Tom Edge and produced by World Productions, and they've had a hand in plenty of productions in the past as well, too many to name here. So in the UK it is on BBC One, very comforting to know that, but here you can watch it on Binge. As I mentioned, it is a commitment per ep, about one hour, but that gives them really enough time to start unpacking, feeding us some details and having a nice hook at the end of each episode from what I can tell so far. So it's pretty action-paced. They're not wasting any time. So basic premise, let me give it to you straight. So setting, we've got a mystery set on board a nuclear submarine, the fictional HMS Vigil. And Rob, I'll cut to you in a minute for some more submarine facts. But basically we're aboard this submarine uh, and a police investigator must go on and investigate a death that has happened on board and possibly the linked disappearance of a Scottish fishing trawler and unpack exactly the history and nature of what's gone on here. So there's a lot of real drama and tension that's kind of coming out of the fact that we've got our detective from the fictional Scottish police service dropped onto the submarine to solve the crime in some very hostile waters. Let's just put that mildly. And uh, it becomes pretty obvious that it is no accident. And so we're really in amidst this crime procedural where we're hunting down a killer basically on board this submarine while all kinds of uh, other nefarious things go on around around us. So along the way, the Royal Navy and MI5 will play a role in the ongoing investigation, positive or negative, yet to be seen. <laughs> um, and yeah, before I dig into some of our key characters, I think this one caught your eye originally because of the submarine element. Is that right, Rob? It is. That's true. Uh, anything with a machine that goes ping, grabs my <laughs> attention. Um, look, these submarines, they're the most sophisticated machines and complex ones that you could possibly build, really, in terms mm. of that. They're like spaceships. They're so complex. Yeah. Maybe even more yeah. so because there's plumbing. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, HMS Vigil, it's a fictional boat, and that's what you call submarines. There are three other boats in the class, as in real life, and there is one called Vigilance in real life, so Vigil Vigilance. It's not that too oh, big a okay. step. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, it's, they're based on the Scottish coast, not far from Glasgow. Uh, mm -hmm. Amongst other conventional explosive missiles and torpedoes, each boat carries eight or so Trident II underwater launch-capable intercontinental-range ballistic missiles, and each of those mm -hmm. missiles is armed with up to eight nuclear warheads. And that's what they call a multiple independently targetable re-entry 
vehicle or MERV. So many fun acronyms in the mega def industry. And these four submarines are the UK's only operational and deployed nuclear weapons platforms. And thus the, the current major arm of that country's atomic deterrent. So they're continuously at sea, at least one or two of them. And mm-hmm. they don't have any planes orbiting with bombs like Dr. Strange Love or underground silos with missiles in them. The subs are it. So mm. what happens with these submarines is a very big deal. Yeah. And that's why the tension is ramped up right up to high levels in this story. And of course also the pressure is ramped up too because it's all in that bottle under the ocean, or at least parts of it. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's talk a bit about some of our key characters. So I mean we're really exploring this boat and experiencing this series through the eyes of Detective Chief Inspector Amy Silver. So she's probably what you'd call our protagonist. She's played by Suran Jones, and she's the one who is sent on board the sub for, let's say, three days as the beginning premise to investigate the death. Uh, part of it as well is she's pretty much cut off from back and forth communication. So you, she's able to communicate with Shaw via sort of a telegram type system, but it's very much you send me a message. <laughs> I'll send you a message very back and forth. And obviously these messages are not going to be private. So this is very much um, how she's going to have to conduct her investigation. She's very alone and very isolated. And it's also important to note that you can't send many messages backwards and forwards because the whole point of a submarine on patrol, which this is, is that you don't give away your location. Yeah, exactly. So we're against this backdrop of really trying to maintain this secrecy of the location of the submarine. It's a very important mission, but we've had this crime happen and Detective Silver is here to try and figure out. She does have uh, someone on shore who is helping as well, Detective Sergeant Kirsten Longacre. Now she's played by Rose Leslie, who of course we've seen before in Game of Thrones, but in some great dramas since then as well. So she is, Rob's just given a a nod of... (laughs) recognition. So she's fantastic. She's also assisting with the case and she's doing more of the investigations back on the mainland. And look, from the very get-go, we get some hints of personal backstory of both these characters, as well as a history between the two. And we also can tell right away, they're both very clever and especially Detective Silver. She is going to really go at this crime with everything she's got. She's very, got a lot of integrity and she's you know, really switched on, not without tragic backstory because this is a TV show and everyone needs to have a tragic backstory. In the interest of time, I won't go too much into the rest of the cast, but, of course, the crew of the vigil is important as well. We do have a coxswain who is sort of uh, helping, I'm going to say, with the investigation on board the submarine. And then we've also got uh, other players, so medical officers, other engineers, the captain, and so on. So we've got these different interactions between all these people that have these varied levels of helpfulness, uh, hostile nature, and so on. And so the first episode does a really great job of setting up our kind of setting. So um, basically, yeah, so Rob, you've just started on this series. I'm about a third. I'm only a couple of episodes in, but like I said, it's it's a limited series anyway. Mm. My early thoughts, um, it's a really solid procedural. I love the setting. I love that we're following, um, you know, it's a female-led detective series and I think these characters already even in the time I've spent with them we're getting enough from them and enough sense of their character that 
I'm really getting engaged. I think the mood of the show, it's very moody. It's quite tense and dark. And I think it evokes the feeling of being on the submarine really well. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. The music and cinematography basically does a lot to set up the atmosphere straight away. So it's helped by the fact we really do kick off the series with a pretty dramatic and devastating scene. So it really doesn't waste any time kicking off the plot, getting to the action, setting up our premise for us, and then already giving us a couple of action-packed scenes throughout the rest of that, as well as some great character setup. So it's kind of doing a bit of everything, to be perfectly honest. The crime mystery element is really solid too. We're getting starting to unravel a little bit of the mystery even by the time we get into the second episode. And right away, the tension, like the simmering, I can tell there's going to be red tape, bureaucracy, government secrets that's all going to help power the drama and hinder things on there and really make things difficult um, to figure out exactly what's going on here. So I'm ready, like claustrophobic, there's conspiracy afoot. Um, I really want to watch her uncover and outsmart and, you know, but the clock is ticking at the same time. Uh, I think for me, the main thing that sells the show is it's really beautifully shot and directed. So straight away, like, I don't know too much about submarines just from like what I can imagine, but straight away, you do get a sense of the space or the lack of space. And there's a lot of shots that take you down ladders through, it's shot through a floor grate, or it's shot through a stairwell, or we're looking through some kind of window. There's a lot of shaky handheld shots as well, like very intimate kind of close-ups and a lot of walking and talking down these very narrow corridors, like you're ducking and weaving to avoid pipes and you're hitting yourself on things and you get a sense of the scale of the size of the ship, but that it's these winding narrow pathways and you right away get this disorientated, stifled feeling that, you know, Silver's probably feeling herself as she's trying to also do her job without a lot of uh, assistance. So this foreboding and isolation, like seeing that through her eyes as well, I think is done really well. And so that's kind of gotten me really engaged. Like you're in this hostile environment and you just want to, you just want to see her like break through. Um, what that's, that's me. I, I, I'm raving about it, but it has hooked me in. What were your thoughts on the setup and, and what you've seen? Rob? <laughs> well, trying to avoid all of the, <laughs> the puns that you could possibly use. Uh, I think I'm hooked as well. On, Excellent. <laughs> on this submarine. Um, I can't wait for the next episode, the final episode to surface. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which and I'll, I'll definitely be scoping out more episodes as we go along. <laughs> Well, but the thing is that there are three things that I really like. All of the things that you've said, mm-hmm. uh, plus the fact that usually a DCI in a police procedural show, you can put them in any setting, as they often do for mm-hmm. the, the yeah. effect in, in a, a show, mm. and they quickly grow to command that area, even though it might be, I don't know, like going off to visit a furry convention or yes their authority is not questioned they're generally top of the pot like pecking order here they are definitely she is definitely not dci silver um so she is literally a fish underwater 
mm-hmm. and that's an actually interesting thing to do. Yeah. You know, beyond the usual fact that she's going to have some issues she's bringing with her, you know, that's a trope. Beyond, yeah, yeah beyond, we knew that. Beyond that, uh, mm. could be worse. She could be highly claustrophobic. <laughs> but, you know, beyond that, there are interesting things at play here. I also really like to see um, – uh, Joseph, uh, pa- sorry, Patterson D. Joseph playing the captain mm. of the sub. Yes. Mm-hmm. We've seen him in so many things from Aeon Flux and Neil Gaiman's everywhere. Uh, he's been in Doctor Who, but then again, who hasn't? Who hasn't? <laughs> <laughs> in British uh, entertainment industry. And, mm-hmm. you know, th- so there's lots of people in here who I'm enjoying seeing again. But I remember him particularly in the um, BBC sci fi sitcom Hyperdrive. Ah, <laughs> so he's been in so many of these things. It's good to see him get a solid role here. And he might have yeah. even—he was actually a favourite to play Doctor Who. Oh, the eleventh Doctor instead of Matt, Matt Smith got that one. So yeah, there's, there's a whole bunch of things that I'm really enjoying in this the pressure cooker environment. Uh, the fact that there is a fairly decent um, presence from anti-nuclear lobbies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's lots of th- reasons to like this, and I think we've enumerated them enough for the moment. Do you think we should um, we should get back on board on this one later on after we've watched the whole thing and see how if they if it yeah. how they stick the landing or not? I think I think that's a really good idea because you're right. Like part of the interesting thing is removing that accepted power that we all accept that police have on land, or you know that you have to abide by search. She's just out there and it's kind of a lawless <laughs> environment where her authority just isn't as respected as it would be. So I'd be keen to see if she can scrabble back, grab some ground, get things moving. And I would really like to revisit this once we've uh, mm. watched the whole thing. Mm. Yeah, it's um, not entirely lawless. It's captain's law and the Royal Navy law and it's, you know, it's true. Like yeah. I think it's, yeah, the interaction between those. But I think on the sub there's very much respect that she would get in other situations she's not getting. Mm. And it's, yeah, it's it's really she's just got to make do. Lots of using her smarts and a lot of improvisation and a lot of people reading as well. So I love to watch all that unfold. I mean, if I had to make a guess, she probably will overcome. <laughs> I hope so because if this has a bad, like some kind of horrible ending, but no, it's, I think all the pieces are there. So, yeah, I'd love to revisit it and hopefully it will stick the landing. Where do people find this? If they can. So you can look for its periscope sticking out of binge where you can watch the episodes now. Mm. Yes, I look forward to an era when, when one day we can hold these sort of stories and we can use Australian nuclear submarines. <laughs> This is the whole reason why, right? So now we can make our own shows and they're kind of accurate. It's going to be quite expensive. I think we should just use CGI instead. (laughs) Is that what you call computer graphics in the ocean? CGI? I do not know. All right. So uh, what have we got here? A couple of tracks. We've got Butterfly Song, which is Mm -hmm. by Bernice Scott and Glenn Gregory. And this is from the After Here group that's what they are and it's from the vigil original television soundtrack and then we'll segue into the theme song for the show which is fuel to fire and this is actually from an album called aventine and this is by agnes obel so we'll just go from one to the other as we slip off underwater (laughs) for our vigil at the bottom of the sea joe brunatic coming up next with astral glamour and we'll thank our podcaster, Kayla Larson, for getting us through the pandemic and providing you with 
zero G minus the songs, <laughs> which is a mercy when you consider some of the music that we play, but not this bit. <laughs> so until next week, thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.